Welcome back to the Charlotte Angel Connection, the Charlotte area podcast linking entrepreneurs, investors, and the broader Charlotte community. As you know, our goal here is to interview the individuals who are building, shaping, and influencing entrepreneurship in the Charlotte region so you can stay invested in Charlotte's growth. Today, we welcome TJ Eberly to the podcast. TJ has been involved in the Angel community in Charlotte since 2011 when he sold his company. Um, during that time, he's become a lead investor in several companies, and he's been an active angel investor investor through several of the local funds here in town. His insight into companies through meetings is is always well received. He he talks, um, you know, his the the conversation back and forth after a pitch and and, and interaction with the entrepreneur is uh, insightful, is helpful, um, and I wanted to bring that insight to to y'all our listener here so really good well-rounded interview with with tj today and and again next week um i wanted to kind of dig into how tj got started um what's he get out of it and dig a little bit more into maybe what are some of the things that he's learned over the course of the last six seven eight years as being an investor um, I wanted his opinion on what's the difference between Shark Tank, the television show, and the real world of angel investing. Um, whether or not being an angel investor is intimidating or whether or not it should be. Um, and some other, just some other concepts as far as about just being an angel investor, right? What does it mean? What does it take? And what are considerations and everything else? And <clears throat> so we'll take that and then as we normally do, we'll pivot next week. Um, as you'll hear later, we'll pivot next week into more of a direction of what's it take to be an angel investor in Charlotte and what does that mean and and all of the different things about it, right? So uh, really, really good conversation today with TJ. Certainly hope that you, um, hopefully, hopefully that you enjoy it, um, share it with your friends um, and, and then stick around for next week because again, I think next week's a fantastic addition to our conversation from today. So, um, please enjoy today's podcast. So welcome to the show today, TJ. Thanks so much for carving out some time to, um, to sit back and talk with us about, you know, angel investing and, and the startup scene here in Charlotte. We're, we're glad to have you on board. My pleasure and, uh, looking forward to the questions and, uh, appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, no. So, um, Kind of just to get started off right out of the gate, you know, what was the draw for you to become um, an angel investor and in some cases at least even an, a lead angel investor? Well, I think it's kind of a, almost a, a parallel track of kind of two different routes. Uh, after I exited my business in, in 2011, stayed on through 2013, kind of since then, I've worked with uh, a number of companies just kind of advising them on, on growing their business and, and either taking it from startup or kind of mid-phase to, to into high growth. So there was an advisory piece there, um, and some, some of those interested parties were startups. Um, so we kind of got some visibility into kind of what, what it meant to be an angel investor kind of from the beginning. Um, the other path was really just from a, a Charlotte community perspective, understanding a little more of what was going on in, in Charlotte, uh, especially from a startup community. And those those two kind of merged together, um, both from, from an angel fund perspective, 
and then, as you mentioned, in some cases to become the lead investor. Um, uh, two two companies over the last few years where I was working with um, really the founders to to kind of help launch their companies and kind of guiding them. In one case, turning it from a hobby into a business, um, really advising them to the point of uh, raising capital. And then they looked at me uh, and said, well, you have some money. How about you invest? <laughs> and uh, so, so that was uh, uh, that was a company called Ecom Dash uh, four years ago now. Okay. Uh, so I chose to be the lead investor there. Um, and then more recently, uh, a, a founder of a company called Highlane, which is in the tech consulting space, was leaving uh, his kind of background in a space I knew very well, so I was providing some advice for him, and then kind of likewise became the lead investor investor there because again, I'm working kind of through the details and their business plans and helping them launch their businesses. We're we're very close to it, um, so it, it gave me a bit of an advantage as as an angel investor, kind of be the lead there. That's cool. I want to circle back around to that lead investor thing, but you said it earlier, you, you exited, which means you sold your, your previous company in 2011, stayed on board until 2013. Um, why not just play golf or fish all the time? <laughs> well, um, as, as that may seem interesting and exciting, um, on the, uh, I still have a lot to give. Um, you know what, what, the successful exit has provided me a schedule flexibility, um, and I try to use that and use my time kind of where I, where I want to and where I choose to. Um, uh, those folks that know me, I have a, a daughter that plays college softball, so we're in college softball season. It gives me kind of full flexibility to be able to go watch their games and, and travel, travel around the country kind of as part of that. Uh, but in the meantime, thanks to technology and a few other things, it allows uh, it allows me the opportunity to 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 do more than golf and fish and watch softball, and the angel investment community is just something that kind of seems to make sense to me. Um, for, at the end of the day, uh, I look at it more as a way of kind of creating additional legacy and a way of giving back to the community more so than a way to make money. I mean, obviously, you know, when you make an investment, you're looking for a return associated with it. But my ability to kind of work with with companies ranging from startup to, to early growth, and really to, as I define it, to play the crazy uncle role. Right, <laughs> I, birthed, I, I birthed my baby, um, uh, actually a couple times, and now I get to play the kind of the crazy uncle role from a, from an angel investor. But really, just giving giving back to the community through through those founders and those leadership teams. Um, and really, you know, ultimately trying to help kind of the Charlotte kind of business community overall. Yeah. So I've got a crazy uncle. I know what that's like, but <laughs> when you say crazy uncle role, you know, kind of dive into crazy uncle role for a little bit, if you don't mind. Well, you know, I, from, from my uh, definition of that, it's, it's, you know, certainly, uh, through my 25 plus years of, of business. Now I have some experience and, and lessons learned to, to share and, and provide some mentorship to some folks that um, may not have had all those experiences yet. Um, uh, since we're successful and we have some money and can do some investment associated with that, 
um, you know, that that's another opportunity to be able to kind of kind of lend uh, some capital in, in addition to the to the experience and mentorship uh, associated with that. At the end of the day, you know, before I had children, I was I was an uncle and I enjoyed that role because I could play with them and do all kinds of things with them. But I, I didn't, you know, if they started crying or they needed to change diapers or something like that, I could hand them back to their <laughs> parents. Well, well, much the same way kind of from from these companies. They're, they're not my companies to, to run and manage and, um, you know, experience all the ups and downs. I've been there, done that uh, from, from an angel investor slash crazy uncle role. It's really to kind of provide guidance and, and some assistance and some help and uh, hopefully have a lot of fun along the way. So what is it then that kind of um, tickles your fancy, so to speak? Is it the business side of it? Is it the um, kind of problem solving? Is it the technology side of it? What what pulls you into to staying involved with with companies and and being an angel investor and and getting in there and, and being the crazy uncle who who probably does from time to time get his hands a little bit dirty? Uh, you know, I think it's a combination of things. Um, my first immediate response is. You know, I enjoy the kind of the coaching and mentoring side of it. Um, the bulk, almost all of all of my career has been in in consulting and advisory services. So whether that was in the large large consulting firms, uh, Anderson, Price Waterhouse, and so on, to kind of the smaller startup and regional folks, even even in industry experience, I, I had an internal consulting role. So. So I think kind of by nature, and, and you know, I enjoy coaching a lot of sports uh, kind of through the years as well. So by nature, that's that's the one aspect that, that I really, I think, identify with is uh, that coaching and advising. So, so that part of it is kind of what allows me to keep doing some of that uh, and do so in a meaningful way for some of these companies. Um, I do enjoy kind of the, the people dynamics of it. Um, and, and, you know, helping these founders and their leadership teams kind of survive the ups and downs associated with it, knowing that, uh, this too shall pass in one way or another. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, kind of helping to kind of guide them, you know, along their journey as well. Absolutely. So, uh, I've been fortunate enough to coach my kids in, in soccer and baseball and basketball and, and things like that. And I've, I've realized that one of the benefits of being a coach is that even with the kids, you, you learn as much um, as you probably coach. So what have you learned about being, um, what have you learned most about being an angel investor? What, what are some things that you've learned in the process? Well, folks, folks that know me uh, would say that I always, I always need to learn a, a little more patience. <laughs> um, even, even when I was running my own, my own firm. So I think, I think uh, I continue to, to evolve and, and, and learn in, in my ability to do that, mostly from the standpoint, especially uh, knowing that it's not, it's not my company and my, my firm, right? So it's not. Uh, there, there's only so much kind of influence and certainly no control to, to be able to do that. You know, I think I've also learned um, or continue to learn that there's multiple ways to kind of get to the same point. Um, and I've enjoyed uh, kind of through the, through the angel investing side of things, 
to see how folks that probably are a little different backgrounds and certainly different experiences than, than I've had to see how they think and how they act and, and still trying to get to the same point. Um, you know, I believe a lot in kind of core values and, and those things can't shift um, associated with kind of how you get from point A to point B. But in terms of the thought processes and the me mechanics associated with it, there is variability there. And I really enjoyed kind of just seeing seeing how, how other folks uh, would tackle some of, some of the challenges and opportunities different than, than, than I probably would have. Um, but uh, not not that it's you know better or worse, just that it's different, and um, I think that's offered me some growth as well. Yeah, no. So yeah, no. so there's different ways to get from point A to point B, right? Um, so how do you, um, you you've had success on multiple levels? You sold a business. Um, you've been involved with businesses that were successful. So when you give a company that maybe even the, you're the lead investor on some insight or recommendations um, on how to get from point A to point B and they don't take your recommendation, how do, how do you handle that? You know, obviously growing patience, as you just mentioned, is probably one aspect of it, but um, it's kind of a slap in the face to somebody that's been successful to kind of, you know, turn around and go a different way, right? Well, yeah, I mean, I think you have to kind of, again, take it, Put it in, in the perspective of, you know, I think I've done a, a good job from from the investing side of, of communicating and really acting of that these these aren't my companies, right? So so at the end of the day, they're going to be successful uh, through this founder or their leadership team uh, or or not. And so it's really my role is to kind of help support them and guide them through that process uh, where they're going to where they may take. A, a different path, or as as you mentioned, you know, not follow certain advice. Um, you know, largely that's their purview and their their option to do so. Uh, the, the challenge, I think, becomes if the if the results or the outcome, desired outcomes aren't achieved, then what happens? Yeah. <laughs> um, Fair enough. Know, but, but you know, I think I think. An effective angel investor not only is providing it's providing advice and guidance and counsel, and I'd say influence. But the minute that that you have to kind of direct, you're probably not in a good situation. And um, you know whether that's that's for you know uh, from the angels side of things or or from the founder side of things, but. You know, if you've got a direct activity and direct decision making, um, that that those are flags that uh, that there's a bigger issue out there. Um, and you know, again, it, it's not about pride. It's it's you know, so you're gonna have to kind of swallow that a little bit and and really why are you into it? So I mentioned I'm into it primarily from a mentoring perspective. So you know, if somebody disagrees with with the direction or, or advice that I offer, I'd like to understand why and understand kind of their thought process associated with that. And I'm likely to ask some more questions associated kind of why they're thinking what they're thinking, but ultimately it's up to them to, to try to, try to, you know, plow forward. Yeah. Um, I think, um, kind of shift gears for a second. I think the, um, the average listener, 
the the average person in, in Charlotte that has the means to be an angel investor um, maybe looks at um, maybe looks at Shark Tank or, or something similar as a uh, as what angel investing really is and I think that's probably a, a, a bad way to look at it. What's the difference between Shark Tank and real life as far as being an angel investor? <laughs> well, probably the panels is kind of where it starts. Um, yeah. No, I think, you know, I mean, obviously there's, you know, Shark, Shark Tank is kind of made for television and, and those sorts of things. There's certainly some similarities in terms of, you know, you're going to listen to a to an initial pitch. Um, the the panels, the panel, or, or you know, investors will ask a, a number of questions and so on. What happens significantly different is is the due diligence that goes on that doesn't go on in the show, right? So so those folks decide to invest in five or ten minutes, and that's that's really not realistic. There's there's a there's a, and what you also don't see on the show from the beginning is what's the screening process to get on the show. Yep. So, so from an angel investing, you know, there's a lot of screening before the pitch, if you will, um, and then those folks that are able to kind of reach to the pitch, uh, if it's effective and, and resonates kind of with the group, then okay, then let's let's move it into a due diligence aspect and. And again, that that's not what's in Shark Tank, and they're not they're not they're not doing that. Um, you know, I think I think you know, kind of the last component is when when there is chosen to be an investment, uh, there may or may not be, you know, a significant network of connections uh, in a typical angel group that you know, obviously, a Mark Cuban's got more more connections and and relationships uh, at, at an international level than. Than maybe your typical angel investor associated with that. Fair enough. It's a it's a bigger name brand to go along with it, right? Exactly. And you know, and and but but that said, I mean, there's uh, obviously you know an angel investor is going to provide a lot of experience and guidance associated with it. Quite often, there are industry relationships that uh, that can be leveraged and and so on. Uh, it's just not as as big a brand and and splash as uh, Shark Tank would be. Yeah. So. Going back to that whole point, um, just kind of digging into the due diligence, um, what types of companies or what do you look for in companies before um, before you make a, uh, an investment in it? Well, I think it's a combination of things. Um, for me personally, it will almost always start with the, the person or the person's uh, that that are you know the the founder and and or you know co-founders associated with it. What's their background? What's their experience? You know what kind of people are they? What's their core values? Do we do we connect enough there and so on? You know I, I look for for drive and commitment and uh, and and focus to kind of kind of pull pull up, pull it off right pull out success. Um, Typically, I will look. I, I will uh, kind of grade a little higher for folks that have experience in in the space versus kind of their first time uh, in in whatever you know kind of market that they're in. Um, obviously, the product and service does matter. Um, the market that they're trying to sell their product or service in does matter. 
Um, I'm very interested to understand how they make money, how they're going to get customers. Um, you know, I think I think revenue is is the is the biggest uh, challenge is a much bigger challenge, for example, than controlling expenses. So, you know, how are you going to get customers? How are you going to make money? And then to you know, obviously, to some degree of kind of what what does an exit look like? So how do, how does everybody make money? You know, associated with that. Uh, so it'll be a combination of 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 the the people. Um, the, you know the customer service in the market, but really how 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 we're going to make money as a business, and then why we might be attractive to somebody at at some longer point in the future. So TJ, I mean, as you talk about that, you know, I listen to it from a from an outsider's perspective, and that sounds really intimidating, right? Like, how do I how do I get their get to their core values? How do I understand their revenue? How do I understand where they're going to make money and where the exit is? But I mean, the reality is, if I understand it correctly, you only got started four or five years ago. So is it as intimidating as as it can come off as, or is it something that you can um, kind of take a little bit of line at a time um, and grow into it? Yeah, I think it's probably more the latter. I mean, uh, good, bad, or indifferent, obviously, from a, from a people perspective, those early impressions matter a lot, right? So, it, you know, uh, it, it doesn't take a lot of time and interaction to kind of get a sense of the kind of person that you're, that you're considering to, to, you know, invest in and those sorts of things. Um, what takes a little more time is understanding kind of what their vision for the business is, kind of really, you know, where, where their product and service is going to meet from a customer perspective and, Kind of how you're going to make money there associated with it. Um, I think it, you know, some I think can go faster than others. When you have a, a more unique product or service, um, it may not be as clear. It may take more kind of due diligence kind of work to sit there and say, you know, is this really something viable? Is this really something that customers would pay for? And, and kind of so on. Um, but the more uh, ambiguous it is, uh, the, that lack of clarity will tend to scare me um, more than excite me um, yeah. from from my personal um, standpoint. Uh, I'm not a, a huge believer in in you know that there's a whole you know there's not a whole lot of things we haven't thought of or invented yet. I don't know that anybody's going to you know come up with a discovery you know as big as fire. <laughs> <laughs> you know again so. So I shade away from kind of some true kind of bleeding edges of, of kind of concepts out there that may may not have been proven yet. It's more about, you know, I look at, at, at leaders and founders that, that can take, kind of merge the, the strategy and execution together, that can, can communicate, that have a vision and can communicate that vision and then, and then manage manage the risks from an execution perspective of can they actually make it happen? Yeah. So um, on that note, um, I don't know what um, what does it take to be a startup founder? And you know, just to kind of circle into a, a Charlotte focus, does that person have to be a different type of person in Charlotte than he does or she does? in Austin or San Francisco or New York or something like that? Well, to answer the first part of the question, 
again, from my perspective, what it takes to be a founder is is commitment, drive, passion, and and I'd like to add experience into that. Although it doesn't have to have experience, uh, but it's some it's that mix of that. I think I think you've got to be passionate about what you're doing. That the 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 founders that I I shy away from and really discourage. When people ask me, they say, you know, when when's the right time to to, to you know, start my own company. Is it early in my career? Is it mid career? Is it late career? Is it before kids? After kids? Or all those sorts of things. And and my my response typically is, um, there really isn't a, a great time, but there's only one bad time. The one bad time is when when people say, you know, hey, I just want to own my own company. And 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 why I say that is because if you're not passionate about what what you're what you're providing for customers, if you're not, you know, passionate about the the internal aspects of your business, I just think success is extremely hard. It is really hard to go from startup, high growth, and exit um, if you're not passionate about it. And so, so that's a big piece to it. I look a lot for the commitment of, you know, if things are going to be, you know, you're on that down downward uh, piece of the roller coaster. Are you going to get off, or you're just going to fight harder? Um, so I look, I look for those aspects associated with a founder. Um, obviously, like I said before, the vision, vision, and execution together makes a difference. Is that different for somebody in Charlotte versus in Austin or the West Coast or somewhere else? I, from my perspective, no, I don't think so. Um, I do think it's probably harder uh, from a startup perspective to. To be in Charlotte versus, you know, some of the more, uh, you know, more uh, evolved areas in the country. Um, I and and why I say that is I think it's probably a little harder for for those entrepreneurs to find the mentorship that they need, uh, some of the other resources that they may need, um, and certainly some maybe some of the capital that they need. Um, and I'm sure we'll probably talk more about that from a Charlotte community perspective. But, but you know, I don't I don't know that the founder profile needs to be different in Charlotte because of of the kind of the the Charlotte investment community. Uh, I I would think that profile should be sim- similar to same, you know, across the country and quite honestly across the world. Yeah. <clears throat> so if it's um if it's if it and I'd probably agree with you that it's it's harder to be a founder in Charlotte. So does it mean that it's harder to be a successful investor or angel investor in Charlotte as well? Or can you seek out opportunities and um, even within and outside of Charlotte? Or how do you source deals, I guess, from that perspective, knowing that maybe it's a little bit more Charlotte challenging for a Charlotte-based entrepreneur to – to have that successful exit down the road? Well, you know, obviously I think it depends on, on what your objectives are from an angel investor and, and the scope of influence that you, that you, you know, choose to have and, and want to have, um, you know, I mean, if you're looking at, uh, the next unicorn out there, well, you're going to have to look you know broader than just the Charlotte community associated with that. Uh, if it's about, you know, how do I make, you know, you know, ridiculous multiples on my investment. Then again, I'm going to have to have a larger, you know, larger influence there. Um, you know, I think the Charlotte 
startup community um, is still pretty young uh, in in its life cycle. Um, and from that, uh, I think the investors need to learn a little more. I think startup founders need to learn a little more of kind of how all this stuff kind of kind of works together from an ecosystem perspective. I do think that there's some some advantages to to you know looking looking with that lens at not just Charlotte but let's say the Carolinas um, associated with that um, you know even even southwestern Virginia's you know three hours away Atlanta's four hours away so if you kind of look in that in that general southeast kind of perspective uh, I think there's some not only opportun- more opportunities to invest. For, for the investor's perspective, but from a, a startup founder perspective, there's more resources to be gained than just kind of outside of or inside of, of Charlotte. Um, I think that evolution uh, needs to keep happening and frankly needs to probably happen faster. Uh, the, the city of Charlotte is doing some things, I think, to, to increase the engagements and potential likelihood of success uh, for startups, but there's still a long way for us to go. Yeah, no, I'd agree with you 100% there. Um, so you mentioned earlier, um, and we'll start to um, start to kind of wrap up here as far as the far, first part goes, and then our next part, we'll spend some time focusing a little bit more on Charlotte and different opportunities and stuff like that. But you mentioned exits earlier, and um, I mean, ultimately, everybody wants to sell their investment, whether or not it's a, um, I guess not everybody, but most entities want to sell out of their investment. So how do you think of, how do you think of exits for the companies that you're investing in? What do you look for? Uh, I'll, I'll try to wrap up uh, some of my, my, my strategy in, in uh, a quick minute or so. Uh, there are three primary elements. When, when I, if I was sitting down kind of one-on-one with, with an investor, and, and if I'm part of a group, I try to tease this out. But there's three things that I, I ask startup founders before they uh, even give me a pitch. And the first thing is to find what kind of business that you are. Are you a growth equity business that's desired to have an exit? Or are you a lifestyle business? Um, or you kind of a, a generational business and most folks will answer oh, I'm a growth equity business but then you, you there's some undercovering questions and you're like well you're really operating as a lifestyle business that you want to exit someday which which is fine you can yeah. do that same thing on a generational but they're not the same thing so from an angel investment perspective they absolutely need to be the growth equity you know kind of business and there's some qualification to that. The second step to answer your question specifically about exits is I ask them to define what success looks like. And not just in terms of financials and those sorts of things, but really to describe if somebody were to say, you know, hey, William, you, you're successful. What do they see? You know, how, you know, is, are you in multiple geographies? Do you have a lot of people or little people? You know, do you have many customers or, or not a lot of customers? What kind of customers do you have? All those sorts of things. And, and, and that definition of success then relates to the point of an exit, right? So how I advise kind of business owners is, is if you've reached that point of successful, it is absolutely time to exit. And too many owners will say, well, but if I hang on, I can, I can double my revenues and double my profits and triple my valuation. 
Yeah, and you might lose it all too. Yeah. So that definition of success becomes kind of the buoy to kind of, you know, when or when should we exit or not. The third component is the reverse of that. It's the only time I ask uh, entrepreneurs to be pessimistic. But in a worst case scenario, if everything goes sideways, what are you willing to, to, to lose or to risk associated with that? Whether that's money, whether that's house, whether that's, you know, whatever it is, to find that worst case scenario so that as you're going down, down the, on the downside of that roller coaster that you have some barometer say, is this worst case? Um, if they, if that answer is no, then keep going. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, 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 and the drive towards that. So from an exit perspective, I mean, obviously, you know, a typical angel group will have kind of some desired metrics on return and, and so on. Um, those things are factored in, um, in my opinion, how I do it is kind of per that definition of success. Um, if that equates to, you know, enough of a return from a shareholder perspective, and I think that the founder uh, is capable of, of, of executing their vision and their strategy in a way to achieve that level of success, then, then we should, we should, you know, feel good about a potential exit. Yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense. <clears throat> so do you think, um, do you think angel, angel groups are, I don't know if the best way is the right way to say it or not, or the only way probably is, is probably the wrong way to say it. Do you think angel groups serve as a great way for people to start to understand the space rather than trying to go out and piece together some individual deals all by themselves? Well, I think, you know, I think there's a lot of learning to be gained, obviously, through a group and, and multiple folks. So the, the biggest advantage that, that an angel group provides versus, a, you know, an individual investor seeking investment opportunities is, is the sourcing component, right? So, so from an angel group perspective, uh, the ability to, you know, to provide some filter on the front end, but then providing the sourcing of those deals I think uh, is advantageous kind of to the individual investor um, where there may be some dissimilarities between perspectives of the group, um, pers- you know, different, you know, either, either profile investment profiles or different levels of experiences and so on. Then the individual, um, you know, sometimes that, that group may, May have a certain belief, whereas an individual may have a different belief. But, but again, there's typically ways then for that individual investor to become engaged and, and invest in those startups, even if the group doesn't. Um, you know, and and also I think the group provides some great learning you know, abilities for for individuals that, you know, again, just could, because you've had some experience and maybe have had some success. Um, a lot of other folks have had, had experiences and success too, and you can learn from them. So <clears throat> I'll take that as a yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, fair enough. No, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, you know, it's, it's like anything else. It has a good size and down, um, downsides to it as far as you can learn some things, but you can also get trapped in a situation or in a company that you don't necessarily want to be in or pass on something that you, you wanted to be in. And then you'll figure out how to take, you know, corrective actions as you can over time so um and i think i think even even if you become aware of a a potential opportunity you know an individual perspective 
um, you know, in, in almost every case, you're going to want to, you know, ask some other folks to take a look at it and get their opinion and their thoughts um, because you may be kind of blinded by, uh, by you know, what you want to see. And I think, I think those additional eyes and ears are, are extremely valuable. Um, and, and a formal group is, is, the, is the easiest way to accomplish that. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. So, <clears throat> so this has been cool. I've enjoyed our conversation for the first part. I mean, certainly touched base on a bunch of different things. Um, leads us into a couple of places, you know, dive a little bit more into Charlotte and the Charlotte scene, um, and then just talk about some additional aspects of um, um, as of investing as we as we get ready for for part two that'll air next week. So thanks for carving out some time with us again, TJ. Look forward to continuing our conversation here in a few minutes. All right, thanks, William. Sounds great. So great little podcast today with TJ. Um, again, broad range of topics considered or discussed i really like the the end there where he talks about you know what are the three questions that he'll ask an entrepreneur before he makes an investment decision i mean how what a great question to ask is and what in a worst case scenario what are you willing to lose if things go sideways right so mark that down now so when the time comes in the future you know to even either push harder um or you've you've reached the tipping point that you, you kind of preset out for yourself. So really cool podcast interview with TJ again. Um, hopefully you'll stick around next week. Next week we talk a lot more about Charlotte. Um, what's it mean to be an investor in Charlotte? Um, a little bit more on what TJ learned as far as being a, a lead investor um, and its relationship or the difference between being a lead and a passive investor and kind of a turnaround situation if there ever is one. So stick around next week. I think we've got a a really good follow-up session. I mean, if you enjoyed today, I think you'll enjoy next week even more with TJ. So stick around next week for another edition of the Charlotte Angel Connection. William Bissett is an investment advisor representative with Seacrest Blakey & Associates, a registered investment advisor. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Seacrest Blakey & Associates. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Seacrest Blakey & Associates does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance. Investments described herein may be speculative and may involve a substantial risk of loss. Interests may be offered only to persons who qualify as accredited investors under the Securities Act and a qualified purchaser as defined in Section 2A, Paragraph 51, Line A, under the Company Act or an eligible employee of the management company. There generally is no public market for the interests. Prospective investors should particularly note that many factors affect performance, including changes in market conditions and interest rates, and other economic, political, or financial developments. Past performance is not and should not be construed as indicative of future results.